Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 83 of the Lip Free and Die Hard podcast. And I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And today's guest is someone I've actually like known of for a really long time. We've had very chance encounters, but uh, Zaria Glam is, uh, is today's guest. So I'm actually really excited to have you on. You are an IFBB pro and you have been since you were 20. And of course, you're a lifestyle coach. You've been in the business for nine years. So it's great to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. Good. Yeah, we just recently kind of started chatting on social media and it's like, hey, I'd love to have you on, right? Because you've been doing this a really long time. Good. Yeah, I, I've been a fan of yours. I love sharing your content. Everything that you kind of embody on social is how I actually coach my clients as well. So it's a, it's a perfect fit. Good. Well, I want to tap into your stuff. And there was a few things I sort of had planned and I want to ask. Uh, in particular, a lot of your media is really about mindset. You're big on that stuff with your coaching. So what are the common mindsets that you think keep people from being happy, healthy, successful, um, whether it's you know the career-based stuff because a lot of coaches listen or if it's the people that you train? I think the number one blockage in most of the clients that I've worked with and people that I just encounter is their self-belief and their mental programming. So we as humans will usually only do what we believe we're truly capable of. So if there's limitations within myself that may be underlying that come from years and years of mental programming, if I don't get to the root cause and start to develop a new self-belief, it's going to be extremely hard, if not impossible, to actually attain that goal. So that's where with my coaching and the way that I've developed my life over time is to get to the root belief as to who I think I am, what I'm capable of and where I actually see my life. Because if I don't nail that, the rest of it is going to be extremely wishy-washy. That makes a lot of sense. I'm big on, again, a lot of coaches listen, but breaking down a lot of lies that people tell themselves and those self-limiting beliefs are huge. How many coaches and trainers look at people who are very successful, look at someone like yourself at IFBB Pro and think, well, I could never do that. I could never be like that person. I could never grow a large social media following. I once thought I couldn't be the sort of person who could write for Teenation, Generation Iron, Muscle and Fitness Magazine. And all of a sudden I'm looking at this stuff going, holy shit, like how did that happen? But it's been fulfilling. And I like exposing people to breaking those boundaries, those mental boundaries that they've created for themselves. And what do you think about this? Like, it's a very safe place to stay so that you don't put yourself out there for fear of failure. And that's exactly it. It's like, if, if I don't believe in myself and maybe I could fail, it's just going to be more comfortable to be here than to ever try. And for me, I look at these, I'll give you an example. When I was just starting up my bodybuilding career, I saw Miss Olympia and I, and I looked at her and I was like, well, there's, there's nothing different about her than there is about me. She's just had probably 10, 15 years of training, but we are both human and we both have the same abilities. So I looked at that and I used it to my advantage and in turn was able to create a, a really successful um, time while I was competing because I looked at these people and went, they're no different than I am. What can I do? 
And that makes sense. And obviously you've lived it because, well, you went and turned around and accomplished it. And, and I will say this too, when you turned IFBB pro, and it's not in any way to insinuate that it's easy now, but it was way harder. There were a lot less cards being given out back then, right? It was different. It was, it was a lot different back then. Especially for Canadians. So you probably know um, my old friend, Frank McGrath. So I'm from originally yep. from Newfoundland. So I used to work out in the same gym with Frank, hung out with him in university, right? Knew him really well. Like, awesome guy. And Frank, Frank was always a gifted freak. He was always amazing, even in his early 20s and teens. And he went and won the Toronto, the, the, the Nationals, basically Canadian Nationals. And there really weren't a lot of opportunities to win pro cards. So it speaks a lot to your dedication, your training, and your fitness on that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a different era now with bodybuilding. You do find that there's a lot more pro cards being given out and you find that uh, a lot more people are doing it than they were back then. So when I was competing, when I started competing, um, I was 20 years old, so I was the youngest, I think it was the youngest in Canada at that time to win a pro card. So the women that I was competing against were usually like around late thirties. And, and now if you're looking at it, the age range is also very different. There's a lot of younger competitors that you'll see nowadays too. Yeah. And I'll be careful kind of how I say this, but I've definitely, you know, seen some people that I've encountered in, in real life. And, and I think they're very fit people around the gym. And I'm like, that person has a pro card. And that, that seems sort of odd to me. Right. Um, and I don't want to go as far as to suggest that it's watered down. But I, I remember I've grown up on, again, on bodybuilding magazines and this sort of stuff. And like, if someone, you, you look at someone like Ron Partlow, who took him forever to do it. And the guy is a gifted bodybuilder. He's from the Edmonton area or someone like John Meadows in the U S God rest his soul. Another longtime T nation guy. You know, some yeah. of these people really fought for a very long time. And these are very legendary bodybuilders and it took them a long time. So mm -hmm. it, it's flipped a little bit, but I just want to say that just not to disparage anything now, but to point out how big an accomplishment that was at that point. Yeah, so I actually was there when Ron won his pro card and he had been at it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like, it was over 10 years of doing the same show, the national show that he actually won in Edmonton. I think you were there, yeah? I don't think it was that because I don't actually go to a lot of these shows. I don't coach competitors very often and I don't anymore at all. So occasionally I'll have a local show and I've got someone up on stage, but that's been a while. And I would rather refer those people to someone like our friend, Isaac Bayer, another IFBB pro who worked a long time for it, who, uh, you know, who works with those type of people. So there's a bunch of really great coaches around and I would really just rather work with the general population, young athletes, older adults. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't, I've never actually coached a, a competitor for a show before. So that, that actually goes into something then. So it's the, how has having the, the title of being an IFBB pro, how has that affected your career, helped your career? And I mean, I know you, you're different than some, I'll just say some of the coaches in that space who rest on the laurels of being an IFBB pro and expect that people will line up to coach with them simply because of their status. So how I see it is I'm an athlete, but I'm an athlete year round. So a lot of people that do shows or coaching, they not all, but some perceive to be a certain way, but it's a big yo-yo and it's, it's a lot of up and down for me. I don't, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think 
there's much sense in that. For me, I like to live confidently in my skin all year round. So um, that's how I, that's how I teach my clients. That's how I, that's what I believe to be true. I don't believe there's like a, a quick fix or go to the yo-yo. So I don't even really use the IFBB status much in my coaching. People just know who I am based off what I've done, what I share on social media and who I show up as on the daily, but you're not going to see me um, even really talking about being an IFBB pro in that matter, just to gain clientele. And, and that's fair. And because I, I am sure that it would attract the type of people, this is a tough one because we know that coaching in the competitive world can be challenging. And I bet you being in that world for a long time, you've seen the best of it and the worst of it. It's done great things for you, but you've also seen a lot of people. I think a lot of people can be drawn to it for the wrong reasons. They seek validation born of deep insecurity and they think, well, if I get up on stage and I look this way, it'll make everything better. We know the reality of that one, right? If anything, I think some people probably just aren't in a place where they should probably be spit into that world. And there are great coaches. And then there are coaches who will use that system and they're predatory. And I've seen it, right? And I, again, mm-hmm. don't wanna, I'm not going to get into names or anything like that, but we know that behavior is out there. But that being said, there's a demand for that coaching service. So it is important that coaches with integrity are in that space to do it better. Uh, you know, we got someone like Lane Norton, who is, I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of. I don't know, you just posted, you were, you soaking up learning from Lane, right? That's yeah. what, whenever I interact with someone who is part of the competitive world or is born from that world, uh, like my friend, Natalia Mello, you probably know Natalia because she won the 2012 Bikini Olympia, right? So I've got an article in the works with Natalia. She's just got to get some video to me. And I recently had her on the podcast. And Natalia is going to seminars from some of the most evidence-based leadership people in our space. And if someone is soaking up Lane Norton stuff, that that tells me a lot about them versus being just entrenched in a lot of very old belief systems that comes from the bodybuilding world. Yeah. And I think you nailed it exactly. If you are, or say I was putting out there the FBB status stuff, I would be attracting more of that clientele, which isn't actually who I'm wanting to work with. For example, if there's a female that wants that comes to me wanting to get um, prepped for a show, I won't turn it down, but I will definitely ask them their core motives and try to discover more as to why they're wanting to get into the space. Because a lot of females want to get in the space to look better, to be sexy, to accomplish a goal. And you can be all of those things. But in my opinion, you can be all of those things without a show. And it's a lot healthier. <laughs> There's parts of shows, I know you know this, that aren't actually that healthy at all. And for me, it would be like the last four weeks of a prep that isn't a sustainable place to be. And in my opinion, it's not a very healthy place to be. So instead of helping girls achieve that for a show, we dive deeper into, okay, well, what is your core motivation behind this? What is your actual reasoning to want to do a show? And then they soon discover, okay, well, I can actually achieve all of this, but I don't have to step on stage. I don't have to have the yo-yo and the ups and the down and the hormonal damage, right? Short-term or long-term. And then we create a system-based approach of lifestyle that they can actually sustain and they can live out. There's no 10, 12, 20 pound weight gain post-show. 
you're actually going to continue to progress. So that's the approach that I have when coaching my clients. See, that's amazing. And it, it just comes to digging deeper into what they really want, as opposed to just saying, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, cool, we'll go do this. Who do you like to work with? Who do you want to attract as a coach? So I work with a lot of females. I haven't really touched into the base of the, the male coaching, not for any particular reason, but just because um, when I started out my, my fitness journey, I was in a really, really dark space. And I come from a place of experience and I can teach from that space versus just books. So it's not like I'm just going to school and I'm, I'm telling you the good things. I come because I've been there. And so I attract and the, the women that I usually work with are stuck. They, they desire a better life. They have limiting self-beliefs. They want and know they can be or do better, but also coming from a place that they're not broken. Because I, I think that's also a very good thing to teach people is that you're not broken, but there is things you can improve upon. Because if you come from a place that you're broken, there's something to fix. Now you're coming from a fear state based approach and the joy and that momentum of it is completely taken away. So I'd like to shift that and play with that because I, that's what I truly believe. I don't think that any of us are truly that broken. It's just, there's always ways that we can be improving. And I like that you said this specifically, and I'm big on this, is, is not using language in our media that makes people feel broken, whether it's usually language around <laughs> physical dysfunction and being, quote, broken physically with injuries. You, you sometimes see people t- tell people things that reinforce very limiting beliefs about what they're physically able to do, but it also applies to a lot of the psychological, emotional side of stuff. The fear tactic. I I think that's used so much in our society nowadays, whether it be fitness or really any part of um, advertisement, it's like the fear tactic, you know, and I have steered so far away from that because fear is such a low vibration and fear is like on, on the, the emotional standpoint, it's, it's the lowest of lows. So if you're teaching and you're trying to call in whatever that may be from, from a fear stance, that to me, you're already starting way, way, way low. So I always gravitate higher. How do you take clients who come to you who are at a very fearful place and how do you bring them out of there? How do you change their, their self-limiting beliefs? It starts with love. I think that so many people are lacking real love and real connection and a place where they can actually be heard. I think on social media, the majority of us are there for connection, yeah? So if we're there for connection, if I can connect with my clients in real time over the span of weeks, that alone sets them on a way different path. You know what I'm saying? So connecting, allowing them to be vulnerable, allowing them to be heard, allowing them to know they're safe, and then having that support that they might not have otherwise. (laughs) I was going to just let you keep going there, but you cut right off. Um, I, I don't know what to add to that. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, that's how, that's how we do it. <laughs> um, so let's see, what else? I got a few other things planned for you. Yeah. I guess we could come back around to the competitive side of stuff because one of the things I think is still worthwhile to explore a little more is, is some of the cautionary tale. You talked about diving into what really motivates someone, but are there any aspects of that world that you would caution young women, especially, especially the young women who are coming from maybe a lack of confidence and seeking it, seeking the validation of that 
Oof, that's a deep one. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, are we allowed to talk about steroids and stuff on here? <laughs> yeah, you know, you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Because let's not yeah. dance around the, the fact that steroids are a very prevalent part of the competitive side of the industry, including with women. Yeah, so I think that's probably one of the scariest things for me to watch as a competitor and someone who's been in the industry for so long um, that a lot of, not, not everyone, but a lot of people that are just wanting that pro card or that next thing, you know, just to up level, up level, up level. If they are under coaching, that isn't, uh, how to put this, looking up for their best interest long-term a lot of clients or people doing shows will just do what they're told. So for me, I was with Freak Fitness and I was with him, Darren, for um, it was seven years. So I, I started my career with him and pretty much ended it with him as well. But it, during that time, there was no pressure to do hard drugs. There was no pressure on my end because I think if there was to have been that pressure and me not having the education that I do now, I probably would have gone that road and I probably would have maybe even gone so far that it's not reversible. You know what I mean? So I was super fortunate that during my time with Darren, nothing like that was pressured or put on me to say, Hey, look, if you don't do this, you won't succeed. Or Hey, if you don't do this, it's going to be more time because I was so young when I, when I began that I think I would have just gone into that trap as well. So I think that's one of the, the scariest things for me to watch is the amount that people are doing as females and not actually understanding the long-term repercussions or health issues that can arise and that are not reversible just due to maybe different sort of motives or wanting that, that really quick thing, you know, that quick, um, quick like source of whatever they're looking for that they're not finding within so to me that's my that would be like my, the thing to look out for the most starting out with competitors so oh, that's a that's a big one i think we, genetics especially in your world at the very top end are huge and i mentioned again my old friend frank. frank has some of the best genetics that you're ever going to see in a human for professional bodybuilding he was big as a young man. He has got the freakiest forearms, one of the freakiest physiques. And in an era where, especially the big bodybuilders, we're start, starting to see really big midsections. Frank always had that X-frame, right? And it's not hard to look at someone like yourself and Frank who are successful young with genetically elite physiques. And not everybody possesses that. So in order to chase the goal, especially if they're dead set on that pro card, they're going to probably be willing to do whatever it takes. And I mean, I write for Generation Iron and I love following their account on Instagram, but every second post is this bodybuilder diet. And we're talking about young, we're talking about the elite, you know, guys like Sean Roden, Cedric McMillan. And you know, we're talking about who's a guy, oh, it was a Boston Lloyd who, you know, not to discredit Boston, but and I don't know the guy, but apparently he was a, a fiendish advocate for very, very heavy steroid use. And he's dead at a very young age. And so we're seeing this kind of stuff and we're talking about uh, figure competitors, female figure competitors, left, right, and center. Now I think also there's more people and it gets sensationalized, but I mean, this is still a very obvious thing. So we're not just talking about 
long-term irreversible effects. We're talking about this shit will kill you if you go too far with it. Yeah. And I think because it, it is still kind of a taboo topic and not many talk about it, I think a lot of people feel in the dark when they go to maybe say like do their first show so they don't actually know what is right or wrong but that's where you have to kind of do your own research and find coaches that have your best interest long term and short term at heart and then go for more of that versus just the in the moment I want this now things have to happen right now um that'll be safer definitely in the long term is there anything else about the experience that you'd kind of caution because again we we also know a lot of people who have had wonderful experience have thrived they've had good boundaries about their relationship with it but is there anything else that you just kind of caution women to say hey be be careful about this yeah so your relationship with food i think is a really really big one to hit home on when you are doing shows and so i to give you just kind of a backstory i I did shows straight for, I think it was six years. (laughs) So it was back to back to back. So over that time, you start to develop this relationship with food that when you aren't doing a show, isn't, isn't going to work for you because there's a lot of things that you do for the show that you don't need to do outside of the show. Like for instance, eating fruit, you know, when you're doing a show and you're, you're prepping, you, you start to think that fruit's actually bad for you. And of course, everyone's bio-individual and every body has specific needs, which you need to attend to. But there's these certain things that you start to think about food that isn't, isn't always the truth. So I think if you have, say, an eating disorder of any sort and you're thinking about doing a show to try fix that, the best thing for you to do is to fix your eating disorder have a healthy relationship with food, which takes a lot of time. And then once you're in a really good space and you still want to entertain the thought of a show, then go for it then. But I think a lot of, I'll use females, for example, they'll have an eating disorder of some sort. And then they think that this show or this 18 week prep is going to help them out of that. But in my opinion, it might just amplify matters because now your whole thinking around food is a little bit warped. Cause like I said earlier, the way that you do shows and how you prep for shows isn't, isn't long-term sustainable. So that would be the other thing that I would definitely look out for. If you are someone looking to do a show is to really understand your relationship with food and develop it over time. And then, like I said, if, if it's still something you want to entertain in the future, then I'd go for it that way. But I definitely wouldn't, do it in thinking that it would fix some sort of relationship that you have with your food. I get the impression that a lot of people go because try to compete because they think it will fill some sort of void that's missing Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I did that for a little bit of time too. I think that I, I did so well at my shows so early on that all my little traumas from childhood kind of just got swept under the rug because I was just doing shows and I was doing really well at the show. So I didn't even think to stop to kind of deal with my stuff internally and then continue on. So now that I'm finding that it's been, what is it? 
eight years, nine years, I'm like, okay, <laughs> maybe there were some things and some ways I was going about life that wasn't that healthy. And now these little triggers and things are coming up for me to heal so that I can fix them instead of reverting back to a show for that validation and kind of like just plugging your head down, do something, you know what I mean? So yeah, getting clear on that and um, yeah. I guess too, having had those experiences helps you see them in other people and have <laughs> empathy. And I suppose it also, it women who are dealing with some of this stuff are probably drawn to working with you too. Mm -hmm. It's true. And you kind of reflect that, right? Because I talk about a lot of this, the inner work that I've been doing. And then the, the females that are in that same place, they see that I've been there and then they reach out for the same sort of help. So you obviously sustained a long career in coaching too. You know, does that passion, that drive, just an automatic thing? Or do you have to, is there anything that you do to make sure you stay motivated? Or is it just something you absolutely love you couldn't imagine doing anything else? Because we have a lot of coaches in the industry who, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of coaches, it's transient. It's something that young people do before they move on to a grown-up career. Whereas I'll never retire from this. <laughs> and I think we also know that not everybody's experience can necessarily be on this level. But yeah, what's your experience been like with the passion, the drive? So backstory on this, um, before I started competing, I was actually an addict and I was addicted to cocaine for over two and a half years. I was very secretive. No one knew it. My family didn't know it. It was just, I was numb. I was numbing out. It was a solo thing. Long story short, um, I was spotted in the gym and somebody approached me and said, hey, wow, we think you do really well at competing. And I was like, okay, like, what, what is that? Like, I'm just kind of doing my thing in the gym. It was, the gym for me has always been a place of self-expression and therapy. So I never really thought to put the two and two together to like make something of it. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to do this show. But in order to do the show, I need to stop using because I actually can't put on size because if, if you're a user, you've, you've used, you know that you actually don't eat because you have no emotions. You're not, there's nothing, you're not hungry. So in that moment, I had to decide, is it going to be, is it going to be drugs or is it going to be bodybuilding? And I'll never forget this moment of my life. I was on my hands and my knees and I was praying to God. And I said, Lord, if you save me from this, I will spend the rest of my life helping and serving others. And that was the moment that I got my shit together and I figured it out and it's not been easy and it's not like it just went away. But in that moment, I committed to serving others and spending the rest of my life doing so. So when you see me coaching and you see me talking, I'm not doing it because it's a fad or it's a fun thing to do. And it's a little quick term. I literally said to God, if you save me from this, I'll spend the rest of my life helping others. And that was 2014. We're in 2022 now. So that is my core motivation. Every single day when I wake up, although years have passed, it's still my core why. Because when I make a promise, especially one that big, and I'm overcome by something, there's nothing that can interfere that. So when you see me on Instagram, you see me in the gym, it's not because it just looks good. It's, it's for my mental health. It's because I literally devoted my life to this and I can 
relate to so many people because I've been there, because I was an addict, because I was at my deepest. I'm not doing this because I think it looks good or shiny or you can make some quick money. I am so fully invested in what I do in helping other people because I know what it feels like to be at your absolute low and to overcome that. And I have the tools. I have an entire toolbox of 10 years, right? That I can help people in my situation, whether it be um, addiction to food or addiction to work or poor relationships or drugs. To me, it all stems from the same thing. So from that, you can take what you learn and I can take my experience and I can actually transfer it in helping the masses. Every good thing that I have in my life with a few exceptions, (laughs) like my family and some old are things that came directly or indirectly from being devoted to the gym. I got really serious about the gym at 24, which is 20 years ago. Uh, at wow. a low point in my life, I was really sick for three weeks with, you know, the worst flu I ever had. And I'm six, two, and I got down to 170 pounds and I felt terrible. So I said, okay, I got to fix this and hit the gym hard. And then just things turned around and much later in life, moving to Edmonton, um, I messed around with another job. I, I got a bachelor of commerce degree. I never envisioned a career in fitness. And I fell into this at 32. Like some guys, uh, some of the managers at a gym I used to work out kept asking me, hey, you know, you'd make a great trainer. I'm like, no, I'm not interested. So finally I said, okay, we'll give this a try. And I remember feeling completely overwhelmed and going one weekend, I'm like, oh my God, I'm struggling to learn these systems. I'm never going to be able to do this. And I really remember that. And every time I see a young new trainer in a gym, because I like going to different gyms and commercial facilities. And I always have this empathy and this kindness about new trainers, because I remember what that felt like. I remember how scary it was. Mm -hmm. And I can't even believe the good things that have happened because it was something I stuck with. And I, like you, you know, this is, this is very much the essence of my being. It is absolutely a calling. I was going to say, when you're saying all that, it's a calling for you. And I really hope a lot of these podcasts I've had with a lot of guests, they invariably come back around to success principles because if you're successful, if you're confident in charging your worth for your time, if you get comfortable with the business side of it and you get really good at making a living doing this, you get to stay in this game and you get to help people for a lot longer versus you know, struggling one foot in, one foot out, and then eventually leaving this, something that you really love and you wish you could do at a high level for something that mm-hmm. well, maybe there's the illusion of security in the 40-hour work week and the salary, but it's not the same. And, and I could never go back not to anything else. No. And I think you and me and like many others, the gym has been like our saving grace for so many days. And if you talk to any high athlete or anyone who's super devoted to the gym, it, it usually will stem back to some really shitty time in their life. And I think because we decide, look, I'm getting out of this, I'm getting better. That's the difference between the people who are extremely successful with it and can make it long-term or the ones that play victim to their story and go, woe is me. Like, I can't handle this. I'm, I'm out. You know what I mean? So there's two very different people when it comes to the highs and the lows in the gym and the therapy that it, that it offers you. And you get to decide which one you are. And I do believe each of us have that choice. Yeah. I really love something that you said. I want to zero in on this. You used the word therapy twice. And our industry gets a little funny on social media. If you dare make the statement, the gym is my therapy, there is a tribal mentality that will attack 
and police that. And the response is, the gym is not therapy. Only therapy is therapy. It's like, I hate that pedantic bullshit. And I'm going to qualify that a little bit because someone listening might be like, ah, well, I think therapy is genuinely an awesome thing for a lot of people. But at its heart, when someone says the gym is my therapy, it's a figure of speech, right? Mm -hmm. No one is devaluing the experience of actually seeking appropriate mental health um, you know, uh, intervention, right? Let's also face the reality that that stuff is 200 bucks an hour. And a lot of people who need it probably can't get access to it. We also know deeply studied that physical activity, working out strength training is one of the best things you can do for your emotional, mental health. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the only thing and that therapy could not be really valuable to you. But it's one of my pet peeves when sometimes in our industry, people start fighting these battles with each other and policing speech and fighting over ideology and methodology when I don't even know the statistics of the number of people in North America who have a gym membership or are active. We know that obesity rates are climbing and we know that the vast majority we're not reaching. So when we fight over these things amongst ourselves, we're completely missing an opportunity to reach and access the mainstream. And it's why I admire someone who you have a large following on social media. So that means that you're able to get in front of more people. And if people are drawn in, because I mean, anybody who isn't following you, I really hope you guys go follow his area because hey, she's jacked. Like you are fit all year round. And I've been, I've seen your media for a long time. It's not like there's an off season really for you. You stay in really, really great shape. You live the lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. And and your energy is also there in, in your story as you're talking to people. Like this is a, a, like everything you described, I've actually seen it with my own eyes for a very long time. So I hope people go see that. But my bottom line point is, if you hear somebody who uses the phrase, the gym is my therapy, it's okay. It's like, like big one for me, the word tone, guess what? We all know what the fuck it means. It like we do. So I, I see these coaches that they put up this post like, oh, tone isn't a thing. And, and they're policing what trainers are saying. Guess what? When a client sits down in front of me, because it's usually women who use the word tone, and she says, Hey, you know, I don't want to get too big. I just want to tone up. I smile, I go, I know exactly what you mean. Because mm -hmm. how many traders are sitting there going, Well, actually. Uh, tone is not a thing. You know, you can, you can lose body fat and you can build muscle, but, but, but you can't tone muscles. You just lost that client. You just lost their trust. They're going somewhere else. We know what the hell they mean. So guess what? You meet them on their level, embrace the language that the everyday user is using and build trust with people. Because if you build that gateway to that person, that that's how you can change someone's life. You're smiling and agreeing. So I, I like <laughs> your thoughts. I love it. And Yes, I think that people, if they're using the word therapy, if they consider the gym therapy, let it be that. There's so many on, on social that think they need to give their opinion. It's not asked, it's not needed. If somebody feels better because they're in the gym and they call it therapy, so be it, right? If you go to therapy and you sit for, for an hour with an, a therapist and a coach, so be it. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're wanting to get better and heal these inner traumas and whichever way that therapy works for you, just do that. But I think there's so many people 
that feel the need to put their opinion on everything and the way people talk and the way people move and da 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 da, da it's just it's not necessary. It's a waste of energy. You know, if you're going to be on social, let's use this time to encourage. Let's use this time to uplift. Let's use this time to motivate and connect and be vulnerable. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to be an extremely happy person sitting on the other side of a keyboard or a phone, belittling somebody or calling down on them or trying to make them think they're, they're wrong for what they're posting. So if that's you, just take some time, do some inner work. You probably won't feel the need to hop online and belittle or discourage people, right? So if we can all use our time on social in the proper forms, I think it would be a much more enjoyable space for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm big on that positivity. And then something came up recently, and I don't want to go down too much into this because there's a, a tribe, and I'll call them a tribe, of... <laughs> very evidence-based people. And I find that the evidence-based leaders of the industry, you know, your Brad Schoenfelds and your Lane Norton, now Lane, Lane is, is going to be an interesting example because I think Lane has got so much credibility that he can actually pick at and attack and go after the charlatans, right? The big name charlatans in the industry. But <laughs> because Lane does it and Lane has got the legacy of all of this good information that he shared for free for years, I think a lot of other people think, well, hey, that's the way to build a name for themselves. And so there's this tribe and I've had some interactions with them and there are some very good, well-intentioned people within there. Um, I think they're very, I think they're very ideological about evidence-based training and they've sort of made it their mission to identify and attack what they deem misinformation. Now, I don't, I have a problem with misinformation, but I still think the best way to beat the people who are sharing misinformation is to share better information, grow a larger platform. And I use my friend, Sam Spinelli, who's in Kelowna. He's got 400,000 plus followers, brilliant strength coach and physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy. And outside of very rare incidences where he's like, he's shot down some of the stuff that Joel Seidman has said, Sam shares very positive information and he has substantially more influence and is positively affecting more people than this collective that I'm talking about combined. And this collective saw something that a friend of mine wrote. And you know what? I don't necessarily agree wholeheartedly with what my friend wrote. And this clan, they thought that, okay, this isn't supported by evidence. So they started to attack him and meme him. And he didn't respond very well to it. You know, he felt very attacked, which is not the way you're going to get someone to, to bridge the gap. And I, I think this, this group, they function a bit like an echo chamber where they, they attract like minds and they pat themselves on the back because they're doing a good thing. But I think that they're a drop in the ocean compared to your Jordan Syeds and your Sohi Lees and your Sam Spinelli's and your Spencer Nadolsky's, who, Lane Norton's, who are growing these massive followings. And again, Lane's kind of the exception because he does some of this stuff too. But I met the guy in person, biggest heart ever, really good information. So he uniquely seems to be able to do this. And I don't know if you've seen this sort of stuff as well. And what are your thoughts on that? I'll be completely transparent with you. I don't spend a lot of time on social. Smart. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's so important, especially running a business. And I've got a great family life and a lot going on outside of my social media platform. To me, that's so important to keep. So what I actually do is I set up time blocks for when I go on social. So I set my intention, okay, am I going to post? Am I going to share? Am I going to interact? 
am I going to comment? What is my intention before I go on social? I'll actually set a timer on my phone, five minutes, seven minutes. I'll hit start. I'll do what I have to do. And then I hop off. So I can't speak on what you're speaking about because I don't have the knowledge as to what's actually going on inside these little tribes and stuff, simply because I don't spend too much time on social media. Um, that for me has just helped my overall development of life. It helps me to stay present in my everyday life as well, which is going to be way more important. And that's my top priority is being fully present and fully here in this physical experience versus spending a lot of time online. So that's kind of like my little, my little thing on social. I do, I, when I'm on there, I'm posting or I'm sharing or I'm interacting, but I don't spend much time. Um, I don't spend much time scrolling. <laughs> I hope everybody listening that <laughs> to heart practice that because I can definitely find that, you know, as my social media has grown very aggressively and rapidly, there are pitfalls with it. It can get very addictive. It can, you can find that you're all of a sudden your phone is open with the social media app in hand without you even realizing <laughs> it becomes so automatic. You're standing in line somewhere and all of a sudden your phone is in your hand and we all know that we're capable of it. So I think we're at the point now where we have to be quite intentional with our use of it. And I admire and love what you do. And I have work to do on that and I'm transparent about it, right? It's totally. It's been incredible to have you on. I really want uh, people to check out more what you're doing. So tell people where they can find your social media, your website. You can find my Instagram. It's az underscore fitness. And then my website is risedaily.ca. Awesome. I, I really yeah. do. You guys go and check it out because I mean, hope, hopefully they can tell your, your, your positive energy <laughs> through this. So um, you and feel not, just, it. <laughs> not just the female coaches too, but you know, guys, you can, you can pull a lot from following different people uh, across mm -hmm. or learn some stuff. Um, I really, yeah. you coming on if yes. anybody who obviously is, has been a long time listening, go check out uh, Azaria. And if you're somebody who's newer and just finding my media recently, because yeah, you've seen it on his area's social media, uh, you may scroll through my list of guests. We've got 83 episodes of this format, 150 of the old, and you'll find a lot of really great people who you probably are following. Um, Dr. Mike Isertel being one of many in the evidence-based space who's also pretty jack bodybuilder. Or women like Jill Coleman, who are really amazing on the mindset side of things. So thank you again, everybody tuning in. Azaria, it's been amazing to talk to you and uh, stay tuned for next week. Thank you, Andrew.